0: Yeah, man, we do want to wish all the moms a happy Mother's Day. For all you moms and mom figures who have invested your love into the lives of the rest of us, thanks for loving us well, moms, as we love you. Now, I grew up with a great mom. My mom loved me. She was always one of my number one cheerleaders. And about 23 years ago, when my wife and I got married, uh, my mom had already developed a good relationship with my, my wife, but they formed this great bond. And I just got to watch my mom love on my wife. So in fact, by the time that it was all said and done, I'm pretty sure my mom liked my wife more than she liked me, to be quite honest with you. And I watched my mom love on my kids in very special ways, beautiful ways. I was just fortunate to have a really great mom. And my mother-in-law is a phenomenal woman. Uh she has loved me as one of her own kids. None of the mother-in-law jokes apply to me. Um, I'm just I'm fortunate that way. It's great. And she is a prayer warrior. She prays for my wife, she prays for me. She prays for our marriage, prays for our kids, prays for our church, our ministry. You all uh she's just a fantastic gal and I've been so fortunate over the years by my mom and my mother-in-law. But it was about 20 years ago that I got to watch my wife step into that role of mom. And having the front row seat to that has been humbling and inspiring because I've got to watch her love and sacrifice for others in ways that I had never really witnessed one human love and sacrifice for anyone else. I have witnessed her become the nurse, the referee, the chauffeur, the seamstress, the chef, the cleaner, the caretaker, the comedian, the prayer warrior, the steady, constant, consistent presence of faith and faithfulness in our family and I know that for so many others of you your wife or your mom is that same and if there's one thing one thing that I have learned to become confident of over the years from watching the moms in my life it's that being a mom can be really challenging at times right any moms agree with that yeah, yeah, you all do. Um, any of you who had kids like me, you're like both hands go up. So one mom recounted this story. She was making several phone calls in the living room uh, for an event that was coming up. So she was calling and her two children, her daughter who is three and her son who is five months old, were playing quietly together on the floor. And the mom was looking out the window looking at something going on at one point when she turned and... Notice, in the, and the daughter has been a, a great like she's been learning how to mother gently, mother her brother since he was born, and and he just loves it and dotes on him. But the mom was looking out the window, and then she noticed she didn't hear the kids, so she turned, and the kids were out of sight. So immediately she hung up the phone. She got a little nervous, a little panicked, and began the hunt for the kids. She found them around the corner, down the hallway in the daughter's bedroom. So the mom relieved that they were okay, but a little perturbed that they had gone to that room. She looked at her daughter and scolded her. Sweetie, you know that you can't carry your brother. You know you're not allowed to do that. He's just too young. He's too fragile. If you were to accidentally drop him, he could get really hurt. And the daughter responded, but mom, I didn't carry him. Well, sweetie, how did he get all the way to your bedroom if you did not carry him? I rolled them. (laughs) So to all of you moms... For all of you moms who have ever had to manage rolling kids, band concerts, soccer practice, dance classes, online schools, skin knees, sibling rivalries, counseling sessions, teenage drivers, school dance, dress shopping, sleepovers, and sleepless nights, and so, so, so much more. Today we celebrate you. Let's hear it from the moms. Well, today we begin week chapter 19, week 19, chapter 19 in our book, Quest 52. This is the book we're using as we are on a journey this year to get to know Jesus better. This is a supplement to the Bible, not a replacement for it. It's kind of our guide to help us dig into the Bible in a uh, intentional way, not just to learn more about Jesus, not just to get more info, but so that we can actually get to know him better. And today we continue in kind of a mini-series within that called Wonder Filled, where we're taking a look at some of the wonderful miracles Jesus did. And today we're going to answer the question, can Jesus make me clean? Clean. Now we did not plan this to land on Mother's Day, it just kind of happened that way, but it seems fitting that we're talking about getting clean, because moms are perpetually cleaning up the messes of their children, and their husbands, and Preparatory cleaning the messy rooms, the messy sinks, the best messy bathrooms, relationship messes and physical messes and spiritual messes. So moms, thanks for always cleaning us up. But today we're going to take a look at how Jesus can make us clean. And let me set the stage for today's encounter with Jesus. It begins with extreme fatigue, just being really, really tired. And then it progresses to soreness in the joints A soreness that begins just to pervade every part of the body. And then the symptoms become more distinguishable to others, more visible to others around you. That's when the fear and the worry sets in. Because if you test positive, there's a mandatory quarantine. Depending on where you live, the quarantine can be pretty harsh. And face coverings are required. Social distancing of at least six feet is mandatory. Although if you test positive, nobody's going to want to be within 50 feet of you. And you probably think this sounds familiar. It sounds a lot like what we experienced during the COVID-19 pandemic. But I'm actually talking about dealing with leprosy in the time of Jesus. Leprosy is a skin disease. It's a neuropath disease. It... it it hits the nerves and it begins to wear on you from the inside out. And there, were, there was a lot of fear of how contagious this disease was. And so even in the Old Testament, we find in the book of Leviticus rules and regulations for how a leper had to interact, how they had to appear to others. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes and let their hair be unkempt. That's hard for some of us. Cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp, outside the city, away from all the people. Your clothing... Your hair, your voice, speaking unclean, you got to make it obvious that you have this disease. And living alone, that, that sounds pretty harsh. It sounds painful for the ones who have this disease. It was. But in an effort to keep everyone else healthy, this was the regulation because you didn't want somebody to actually bump into this person and so get contaminated they they thought it was a highly contagious disease in fact it's a little bit more difficult to contract but prolonged exposure to someone with leprosy does make it possible for you to become a leper yourself and so they kept these people away from everyone else sores would cover the face and the body open sores that had a stench to them it could It was just noticeable. Like zombies, their bodies decaying and falling apart. White sores and flaking skin. and They were the walking dead. They were treated as though they were already dead. They were shunned. To be a leper was to be an outcast. To be pushed away from everyone else. Never again, I mean think of this, never again to feel the handshake of a trusted friend. To feel the hug of your own child. To feel the embrace of your spouse. You must live alone. And so that is the context for today's encounter with Jesus. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. To be covered with leprosy, this is a progressive disease. It gets worse and worse and worse over time. So to be covered with leprosy in Luke, the Gospel writer here was a physician, a doctor. He's giving us an indication. This man had dealt with leprosy for a very long time, decades even, for his body to be full of leprosy. But when the man saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The guy knew Jesus was able. He just wasn't sure if Jesus was willing. And why? Because all this guy had ever known from the time that his disease was first discovered was that he was unloved. He was unclean. He was unwanted. He was untouchable. He was lesser than everyone else. That's the only message he had heard for years. And yet what we see in him is actually a beautiful display of faith. Because faith is being confident that Jesus is able and being hopeful that Jesus is willing. Faith is saying, God, I know you can do this. I know you're able to do this. And I hope that you will do this. Faith is living in the tension between our will and God's will. A prayer of faith admits that, God, this is my desire. This is my will. This is what I want you to do. This is what I hope you will do. And I know that you are able, you are more than able to do this thing. But, God, I'm not sure if this actually is part of your plan. I don't know if you want to do this. I don't know if you will do this. So, God, whatever you do, help me to be okay with that, whatever it is. See, the prayer of faith is always confident of God's ability, but never presumptuous of God's activity. It's always been confident that God can do whatever God wants to do, but never presuming, never demanding that God must do some activity to fit in with our way of thinking. That God is able, but he may not respond that way. Well, I love Jesus' response to this faith-filled leper. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left the man. Now the word for touch in the original language, the Greek of the Bible from 2,000 years ago, the original language, we, we can better translate to grab with a grip. It wasn't like Jesus was reaching out to touch him like, Ew. Gross. No, like he latches onto the man. And again, understand, to touch someone who was unclean was then to become ceremonially unclean yourself. That's just the way it was understood in that religion at that time. If you were to touch the unclean person, you then were contaminated. That's how they thought it worked, that the the uncleanness moved to the clean one. Jesus flips the scripts, turns all that on its head. And then from this encounter, the cleanliness of Jesus moves to the unclean man and makes him clean. Immediately he's healed. But you know in the moment... When Jesus reached out to touch this man, everyone else in that crowd, you know it was one of those slow moment, slow motion kind of things, like, no, you're going to get it, right, as Jesus is reaching out. Kind of like several years ago, my family and I were visiting my wife's Sister and her family, there's a big family gathering. The other sisters were there, their kids, and one of our nephews was running around. All the kids were running around, but one of the nephews ran through a part of the yard where the dogs resided, kind of that off-limits area, and yep, stepped in the doggy dookie. And at that moment, there was a bit of a no, too late. So my sister-in-law takes the little guy, takes him over to a step next to the hose, gets an old toothbrush, takes off the tiny little shoe. Scrubs the shoe clean, sets the toothbrush down, turns to the side to rinse the shoe. And when she turns back around, yep, you see it coming. Her obedient little guy is just scrubbing away like a good kid should do with that toothbrush. You talk about having a potty mouth. I mean, that kid wins it, right? Now, uh, (laughs) so much no in that moment. Now, the revulsion that you are feeling right now... That's how everyone in the crowd would have felt when Jesus stretched his hand toward the leper. When everyone else stepped back in defense and protection, Jesus steps forward in compassion. He grabbed the man with a grip of grace. This is the first touch this man has probably had in years, even decades. Leprosy had defined this man's life. He was full of leprosy. It had been a long time that he had been around others. He had been forced to live alone, outside the city, away from other people. No interaction. And here, Jesus touches him. Now, we know Jesus has the power. We see this in other places. Jesus could simply speak over the man, and he's clean. Jesus could have been like, dude, that's kind of gross. I'm willing, you're healed. Alright, now you're good. Now I can embrace you. Like, now that it's gone, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus reaches forward and grips the man while he is still unclean. Now this picture of it, I, now maybe Jesus held the man's hand. Maybe he gripped the shoulder. I, I picture Jesus, and, and I don't know, this is pure speculation, but given the way Jesus has grabbed hold of me, It seems to make sense that Jesus probably knelt down, lifted this man's face as the man fell face down to the ground begging. He probably grabbed his face and lifted, looking him in the eyes. I am willing. Be clean. And in that moment, he not only cured the man of his leprosy, but he healed the man of his loneliness. This man had been lonely, had been untouched. And here Jesus is embracing him. Jesus heals the loneliness. In saying I'm willing and saying you're clean, Jesus is saying you are no longer alone. This past week, NPR ran an article about the U.S. Surgeon General's announcement that the United States is suffering from a loneliness epidemic. I'm glad the government finally acknowledges what everyone else has known and dating even before the pandemic. And so they say we've got a loneliness epidemic. It is a health crisis and we know that. To, To be without human interaction is a dangerous thing. To be without touch like this man with leprosy, there's a actual condition called touch starvation. And when you have touch starvation or you just have pervasive loneliness, then what you see is radically increased levels of anxiety. The, the risk of heart disease and stroke goes through the roof for people who are alone, especially if they've had no physical interaction with another. Suicide is off the charts for people like that. And so the cure, well, as you might expect from a government agency, the list of cures was terribly vanilla. It's just, like, not that great. Except, except the last thing on their list, develop a culture of connection. Huh. A culture of connection. Boy, the U.S. government is starting to sound awfully similar to the local pastor. (laughs) A culture of connection. That, that's like church language. That's, that's like biblical words there. How do we combat a loneliness epidemic? Well, we do things like get into a small group. You, you pick up a, a resource like Quest 52 that at the end of each week has discussion questions. And you talk through that with two or three or four other people. And say, man, what did God speak to you this week How's he transforming your life? Wasn't that incredible, that encounter with Jesus? And you get in a small group or you participate in Rooted. Any of my Rooted peeps? It's like spread throughout. Let's try it all at once. Any Rooted peeps? There we go. It's a lot more powerful when you say it all at once. Serving alongside somebody else, getting in the trenches, in the kids ministry, in the You know, whatever, in the coffee ministry, greeting at a door, mowing the lawn, serving in any capacity. And when you get shoulder to shoulder and you serve next to somebody, you combat the loneliness. See, God gave us the remedy from the onset. He created us not just for relationship with him, but also with one another. We're made in the relational image of God. We are wired up, hardwired within us to connect with others. Some of us have a lot more connection spots on the Lego board, if you will. Some of you have three or four. But no matter who you are, you've got spots to connect with others. And you're wired for that. And God's remedy to loneliness is that we would get together with one another. It's always been part of his redemptive plan. That's where some of the healing comes. Now... Jesus speaks over this man, and immediately, he touches him, immediately the man is healed. But I want us to be cautious of that, because that healing, that's not formulaic. that That's not always God's formula for what will happen. Remember that faith is always confident of God's ability, but never presumptuous of God's activity. Faith always says, God, I know you can, and I hope you will, but I'll trust you no matter what. Sometimes what that means is that that terrible thing you're facing, you've got that thing in your life, and you're really wanting God to cure that. Maybe it's physical illness, cancer, dementia for a loved one. Maybe it's a broken relationship between you and someone else. Maybe it's, it's that sin that just keeps coming back at you. Friend, hear me on this. God's plan might not be immediate cure. It might not be a cure for that thing at all. Because what God wants to do is so much bigger than a cure. See, God wants to do so much more than merely cure you for a temporary time. Because no matter how miraculous the cure for that thing might be, it's still temporary at best because death still comes. That's only for this side of the grave. And God is concerned about so much more than that for you. See, God doesn't want to just cure you from an illness or a brokenness. God wants to heal you for eternity. And biblically, healing is so much broader and bigger than a cure. Biblically, to be healed is... To be restored. It's the full restoration of the person. To restore the soul. To restore the relationship between you and God. To restore the relationship between you and others. Restore the relationship even broken within yourself. The distorted image you have of your own self. To be healed is so much grander and fuller and forever. The cure is just a temporary, and sometimes he grants it, and sometimes he doesn't. So this man with leprosy, though his leprosy is a very real condition for him, it's also a picture of the broken sin condition for all of us as humans. So just like leprosy wrecks relationships, how it isolates its victims, sin does the same thing. Sin alienates us from one another Sin alienates us from God. Sin even destroys our relationship with ourself. It destroys, distorts our identity. Either we get this inflated view of self thinking we don't need God because, man, I'm the bomb. Or we get this deflated view of self. Either we're inflated or deflated. We think, well, God doesn't want anything to do with me. Nobody else wants anything to do with me because I'm just a flopper. Right? You know, I just, I don't have anything to offer. And, and sin does that. It distorts this image. Just like leprosy will numb the person. That's what happens. It, it deadens the nerve endings. It, it works against them. The the leper cannot feel pain. That's one of the most destructive parts of the body. So much damage is done as a secondary influence because the nerve endings are done. So they can't feel when they burn themselves, when they accidentally bite their cheek, when they have used their voice too much and they've wrecked their vocal cords and they've gotten hoarse. They can't feel the pain happening. They can't feel what's going on within. They can't feel the destructive force happening from the inside out and they end up losing fingers and limbs and it's painful. Sin does the same thing to us. When we first cross the boundary that God has set for us and we step into that sin zone, at first we feel the guilt, we feel the shame, we feel like, oh man, I should never have done that. But sin works to deaden those spiritual nerve endings and eventually we find ourselves saying, man, I really want more of that. It dens us to the guilt, it dens us to the conviction, It hardens our heart to God. Leprosy distorts a person's appearance. The sores, the smells, the disfigurement. Isn't that what sin does? Totally distorts our image. I mean, we are made, every single one of us made in the image of God to reflect his goodness, his glory, his beauty, his love, his compassion. Sin just wrecks that. Right? Like, I mean, when you think about the sin nature, what, what sin does from within, nobody that I know is looking for that person who is, like, filled with sin to be like, that's the person I want as my best friend. Like, no mom ever raises their child. It's like, okay, honey, when you get older, be the most arrogant, self-centered, greedy, nasty person you can be. Treat every other human as though you are king and they are your servant. To life. Like, no mom says that ever, Right? But that's what sin says to us. It works against us, distorting the image in which we're made. And just like a leper cannot cure themselves, they're not able to heal themselves, there's nothing they can do. I'll just muster enough from within to like fix this leprosy. It just doesn't work. So too with our sin. You cannot fix your sin issue on your own. And some of you, I get Like, some are like, well, hold on, hold on. Like, I can conquer my bad habits. Maybe. And that's great. Problem is, your sin is so much bigger than a bad habit. Your sin is so much more than the bad things you do or the good things you don't do. Your sin is a brokenness of heart. It's a brokenness of soul. Your sin is a rebellion against God that has removed him from the throne and put yourself on that throne as king, as queen. See, just to manage the behavior, that's just behavior management. That's just sin management. That's not the cure for sin. Like the damage is still done. And so this the, the lever must rely on an outside force to come within and transform and bring healing from the inside out. Relying on someone else to bring restoration. In the same way, our sin demands the same thing. We can't Do it on our own. We need an outside force. When we surrender to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into us, invades us, dwells within, and then transforms us from the inside out, bringing healing to all the broken areas of life from within. See, what we need is the same attitude the leper had. The leper demonstrates the attitude that every one of us should have when we approach Jesus. The attitude of surrender. Surrender. What the leper did was illegal. He was supposed to stay outside of the city, away from other people, not approach people. And here he is, he comes to Jesus. He was like, listen, what's the worst they're gonna do to me? What you gonna do? Kill me? Like, that's relief. I'm already dead inside. I'm alone Well, what's what's the worst thing that can happen? So there he is throwing himself at the feet of Jesus in total abandonment. And he cries out to Jesus, you are my only hope. That's it. You alone, only you. There's nothing else. There's no one else. Jesus, you are my hope. I need you. And I love Jesus' response. I'm willing to heal. Even if he hadn't cured him of the leprosy, Jesus would have healed his soul for eternity. Friend, if you will have that same attitude with Jesus, and not just when you first come to him, but every day after, if you will begin the day saying, Jesus, you and you alone are my only hope. If you'll end your day crying out to him, you are my only hope. If you will live a surrendered life, not just at the beginning, but every day after. That's the... That's the walk of faith. That's the life of faith is to begin each day saying, Jesus, you alone are my only hope. I need you to recognize that except for the grace of God, I have no hope. I'm a dead man walking. If we will do that, if you will do that, then rest assured he is willing to heal you. He is willing to heal you. You know, some of you, you've bonded into this false notion You gotta clean yourself up before you go into church. You gotta clean up the behavior and the words and the actions. You gotta clean up the outside. You gotta like act a certain way to be welcomed by those people at the church. You gotta clean up even worse before you get to God. It's just not what the Bible teaches. As a kid, I played really rough. I, uh, I don't know if I was just like adventurous or dumb. I don't, I don't know the difference in my childhood, but I know that I bled a lot and like so many visits to the ER, the local ER, so many stitches. In fact, we would drive down the road, we would pass the hospital and I would say, oh, that's my hospital. Like I, had, I was frequent enough with the, I knew one of the doctors by name. It was awesome. Like that's how often I went to the ER. It was not a good thing. Moms out there, boys like me, on behalf of all of us young sons, Sorry. Um, and uh, and we owe you some hospital bills. Um, <laughs> so every time, though, every time that I went to mom with, like, a nail sticking out of the knee or gravel and something or, like, you know, gashed eye and, I mean, just on and on. Whenever I would show up, mom was never like, ew. Like, go clean up and then come back to me. That's nasty. Like, never did that happen. Every time, every time, he was like, oh, sweetie, come here and let me take care of you. Come here, let let me clean you up. Let's go. Like, bleeding on the blouse, getting the dirt and the nasty on the shirt, on the dress, always taking care of my hurt. Mom was always entering into the pain, always stepping right into the mess. For all you moms out there who've had so many experiences with that, let me just tell you, that's the mark of the creator in you that's the mark of God on your life that you've been willing to enter into the mess with your child not afraid of the grossness not afraid of whatever it is Because that's how God loves us Jesus was not afraid of this man's leprosy he was not afraid of whatever the uncleanliness was he wasn't afraid of the mess he's not afraid of your mess friend No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter, listen, he's not afraid of the mess. He's not afraid of your brokenness. He's not afraid of your questions and your doubts and your skepticism. He's not afraid of all the things you've done or the things done to you. He just welcomes you in and says, hey, come here. Let me take care of you. Let's get you cleaned up. That's who our God is. That's who our God is. You know, we all are the spiritual leper. That's it, point blank. Our only option is to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus like that leper and to beg, Jesus, I know you can and I hope you're willing. And to trust that when it comes to the healing of our souls, he is always willing. He will always heal us there. See, being a Christian does not come by cleaning yourself up. It doesn't come by how much you've learned, how much you know, how much you go to church, how much you give, how much you serve, any of those things. Those things are good, but that does not define spiritual maturity. It does not define walking with Jesus. See, spiritual maturity is not defined by how clean you've made yourself, by all the rules and regulations. Don't reduce God to an empty set, some starchy set of rules. He's so much more than that. Spiritual maturity is always demonstrated by a continual surrender at the feet of Jesus. By every day saying, Jesus, you're my only hope. Like, that's what maturity is. It's defined way more by the transformation in our life than it is by the intelligence in our brains. And so if you want to be spiritually mature, you will surrender yourself every day at the feet of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who desires to grip you with a grip of grace and never let go. Jesus demonstrates that with the guy. And then he tells this guy, he says, by the way, don't tell anybody. (laughs) Don't tell anyone. But go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Go and only have a testimony to the priest. See what that does. The reason is because Jesus didn't show up to be universal health care for everyone. (laughs) That what wasn't his goal. He didn't show up just to be the disease cure. Every time Jesus performed a miracle, it was out of compassion, but it was also to demonstrate that he and he alone is God. He performed a miracle to point out, I'm God. But he also performed those miracles to demonstrate the kind of compassion that we should have for one another, one human to another, and definitely as his followers that we should have for everyone else, the way we should care for others, the way we should show compassion to them. When Jesus healed people, when he would bear witness of his power, he did so not only with word but also with deed, and we should do the same thing as his followers. The faith that we speak of with our lips should be demonstrated by our hands, should be an overflow of compassion from our hearts. As people who have been gripped by the grace of God and transformed by his power. So Jesus tells the guy, don't go and tell anybody about this. And then what's the guy do? He goes and tells every single person about it. I mean, yet the news about him spread all the more. This guy went around, he told everybody. Here's the deal. We can't blame him. You would have done the same thing. I would have done the same thing. I've been away from people for decades. I, I've been lonely. I've been a leper. Now all of a sudden, I'm clean. I can touch people. I'm going to go around. I'm shaking every hand. I'm hugging every person. I'm man patting everybody. Jesus healed me. you got to meet this guy. Intentions were good, but it kind of messed up Jesus' ministry path, right? Because from that time, people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Jesus, what can you do for me? But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You know, in one sense, Jesus traded the loneliness of the leper for his own loneliness. Compassion has a cost to it, always does. Jesus was no longer able to minister in that town or many of the other towns. Mostly he had to minister outside the cities. When the religious authorities heard about this, how a clean person had touched an unclean person... They didn't like what was going on. This actually set him on a collision course with the authorities. From that time forward, they came at him. It was a constant opposition. Conflict followed him. It was never ending. It was always increasing all the way to the cross. Compassion will cost. Compassion will cost us. It will cost you. Compassion will cost us because some people will come to us only for what they can get from us. It's the way a lot of people approach God. That's a lot. Of, that's the way a lot of people are going to approach you. They, like the Bible is some kind of magic genie book. If I touch it enough, if I rub it up, God, you got to do for me what I want you to do. And they will come to you for the same thing. It will cost you. People will come only to get from you. Some people will dismiss you. If you are willing to hang with the least, the last, the lost, and the left outs of this world, then you'll get the dirt on you. You'll be in the mess. And those people, other people who fly with a different circle will will, will see you as unclean. They'll mark you as unworthy. Some people, they'll shun you from their religious circle because the way you do good doesn't match their methods of what good should look like. Compassion will cost you. It always does. It cost Jesus his life. But friend, Jesus chose the cross just like he chose to touch that leprous man because he believed that man was worth it and he believes that you are worth the cross. You are worth the cost. And that's a beautiful thing. So let me just ask this. Will you surrender at the feet of Jesus? If you've never before surrendered, Will you surrender to the one who wants to make you whole, who wants to heal you, not just temporary, but forever? Will you surrender at the feet of the one who wants to grip you in his grace, to embrace you, to love you, the one who went to the cross so you wouldn't have to? And friend, if you have surrendered to him, will you surrender to him still every day? Sometimes the further we get from that initial decision, we we tend to forget. We tend to forget how much we still need him. So will you surrender to him every day, day after day after day, again and again and again, claiming at the beginning of your day, Jesus, I need you and you alone. Jesus, I'm desperate for you. And without you, without your grace, I'm a goner. Will you surrender to him? And friend, will you with eyes open. Look for the people in your circle, just the one even, who's desperate for you to reach out to them with a hand of compassion. And maybe it's that person in a a messy relationship. Maybe it's that person who's facing some really terrible health crisis. Maybe it's the person whose life is just upended and they're not sure how to get out from under their financial woes and burdens. Maybe it's the person who looks like they've got it all together, but you sense there's something more under the hood. Maybe... It's the person who's just feeling all alone and has for a really long time. Will you reach out with a hand of compassion and a grip of grace that just won't let go and allow God to use you to help them find Jesus? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grip of grace on each one of us that you are the God who is not afraid of the mess, that you stepped out of the beauty and the perfection of heaven to step into the muck and the mess of this world to get our filth on you, to experience the literal bloody mess of the cross so that we could be made clean. Jesus, thanks that you heal us. thanks that you make us clean. Thanks that you're willing to clean us from all the brokenness of the sin that we've committed and those things done to us, that you are a healer. And God, I pray today for for anyone here with us in this room, listening online, listening even on demand, that if they have never before surrendered to you, that today will be the day, that today will be the day that they surrender, just like we saw earlier with Raman and Marcus. Mariah and Chrissy. Surrender. And in surrendering, we find the greatest victory ever. It's so counterintuitive. That's where we find life. In the death of the old, we find the newness of what you offer forever. So God, we pray that any of those who have not yet made that decision will make that decision today. And for all of us who have, God, we confess that we have wandered. We confess that we have grown numb. And so... We claim now in this moment that we need you and only you, Jesus, to heal us. That you and you alone are Lord and Savior and we follow you. So God, as we stand and as we sing this next song, may we sing with voices raised high. May you see us in the same way as that leper falling at the feet of Jesus, begging. God, this song is us begging. That you are king and you are good. And we proclaim it with a loud voice together. Jesus, we pray. Amen.